Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast. The beginning of any new endeavor can be challenging. There are unique practices, new language, and so many questions about the way things are supposed to work. This newness can be tricky to navigate and sometimes downright frustrating. In this series, we'll focus on addressing questions that people who are new to Christianity or are just starting to engage with scripture might have. We hope these conversations will inspire and encourage you to more fully participate in the kingdom of God. New Christians are often surprised and confused to discover there are several different biblical translations. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. For centuries, it has needed to be translated in order for the global community to understand its message. Even experienced Christians have a difficult time sorting through the differences. So which translation is best? In this episode, we talk through the different types of translations and strategies for discerning which is most helpful. When you first started reading the Bible and you got into translations, somehow you thought King James was... (laughs) Translation was the holiest yeah. translation, which is which is a, we all laugh at now. Right. But it's some just something you had in your head. But it, it would be useful to just talk about exactly what the whole right. circumstance is. So well, and I actually think for me, so that was first because I just kind of uh-huh. you know you think of Moses and the old Ten movies, Ten Commandments, yeah. right? It's that's and thou. that's how people talked, right, uh-huh. in biblical times. That sounds funny, but I mean, that's our yeah. modern westernized mm-hmm. picture of Christianity, right? So that's where I started mm-hmm. and then moved from there into New King James and listened to ESV, English Standard Version, which is more modern language. And then honestly, the, this question started coming up for me. Well, there's all these translations. I started reading Blue Letter Bible, mm-hmm. which gives you, you know, you, you can, can go back to like 20 different. Right, all yeah. these different languages, you're going back to the Aramaic and the oh, Greek mm-hmm. and the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, well, I'm reading this Bible, but the actual definition of this word is not exactly correct to what it was mm-hmm. in the original that we have because there's no exact translation. So what that introduced to me is this idea, well, okay, so is, is the whole thing just a fallible mess, mm-hmm. right? And you've got all these different translations which one should I be reading? Which one is the real, like, is one the real Bible? And then you can move to one other, you can move up down one level and say, what is language? And how fallible is language? Right. And it's so imprecise. And what is it anyway? Right. And all I'm getting is pictures from it. And he's got a different picture. So it's actually a very spiritual thing. Well, and then we're saying, but that's the word of God. But that's the word the of God. The authoritative word of God. Yeah. So what is that? So what is that? So here is the, here is the the categories. I'll start with the categories. There was the original thing that was written, and that was written in, in a language to an audience. And mostly the Bible was written either in Hebrew or in Greek. Now there's some Aramaic in the sprinkled in there in the Old Testament. It's also possible that some of the New Testament was originally written in Aramaic or Hebrew, but all we have surviving are Greek manuscripts. So you have the original. We'll start with that. You have the original. And then the original got copied, and so you had copies. Now, the, the, the Hebrews were unbelievable at their copying, 
and they were meticulous. And it was incredible the pains they took to keep it accurate because it was the holy word of God. And they, they, they uh, kept it that way, which is why it's so accurate. The copy, well, we, like, what is it, 99.5% or something like that? And how do we know the copies are so good? Uh, well, because we have so many of them, okay. and they can compare them. And now there and was there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, skepticism that elevated significantly in the 20th century, right? And they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and all of a sudden this huge time gap was filled, and it, it validated yeah. it validated the the original manuscript. So they the skeptics started choosing other paths mm -hmm. rather than the reliability of scripture. And that was a pretty big deal. So you've got the original and you've got copies and then you have translations. And there are two ancient translations that come to mind that are important. One is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So in Alexandria, the Jews there were Greek speaking and they wanted a, something they could read of their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and they translated the Old Testament into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint, I think, is named because they had 70 scholars translated. I think that's right. Okay, so Septuagint. And that, that's, that exists to today. I find that very useful because I can trace Greek words from the New Testament and see how they used them in the Old Testament and it gives me a right. it gives me a connection of how the Hebrews thought when they translated Hebrew into Greek. Right. I, I find that to be really fascinating. And then you had the the Latin translation of the New Testament, um, and that was a pretty ancient. You know when that was that was done? Jerome, right? It wasn't he the one yeah, that did yeah. the Latin translation? I don't, don't remember. Don't know what years the that Vulgate, is. Yeah. Latin Vulgate. I yeah. don't remember the year. And then after that, you had translation into all different kinds of languages. And it's really cool. If you, if you can go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., I highly recommend it. It's a phenomenal museum. Uh, it will give you tremendous encouragement that goes beyond all the things we've been saying mm -hmm. of the veracity of the Bible and its impact on humanity, positive impact on humanity. Um, but one of their... One of their um, uh, displays is a room that has every single language, including like you know Samoan sign language right. and stuff. And and their their goal they have a they have a consortium of organizations whose goal is to get every single language translated. And it's it's pretty amazing uh, that 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 project. Now, I don't remember how much longer that's going to take, but um, it's years. But they're they're looking it down to pretty good trade. So every language ultimately is going to be translated. So that's the three, those categories. You've got original, original copy. copy, translation. Okay. okay. So now within translation, there are several different kinds of uh, approaches. First is, which texts are you going to pay, consider okay. to be dominant? And there's two basic approaches. Uh, one is majority text. And the other one, you know what the other name is? It's, it's the oldest. The most or the oldest is, is the two approaches. And uh, the King James was most. And that was the popular thing. You know, what do you have the most of? And, the, and I, the, I actually think that's the best approach. 
because you think about, I had one, and then it got copied 10 times, and then it got copied, each of those got copied 10 times, so now I have 100, and each of those got copied 10 times, and now I have 1,000. So three copies in, somebody makes a mistake. Okay, so now each of those gets copied 10 times, I have 10,000. I'm only ha I'm going to have 9,990 correct and 10 wrong. Right. So as that as that math continues to propagate, it creates a more and more stable environment. Yeah, as that math continues to propagate, the one you have the most of should tell you that that's probably the most accurate. Right. That makes sense. Well, in modern times, it's flipped, and they that people have decided the oldest is the best. So I would say if you find one, if you have 9,900, you know. 90 that are one way and four that are the other way, or one that's the other way, that probably means that it was recognized as being defective, put in a trash can, and copied. never worn out. Right. And that's why it's so old is because it wasn't worn out. And nobody copied it because it and was it wrong. And it didn't get copied. Okay, that's, that's, that's probably what happened. But in my view, the reason the old has become the dominant is because it creates work for jobs for scholars. And so... <laughs> Scholars tend to be the ones that do all this stuff. That's my opinion. Now, fortunately, so far, it makes almost no difference. But I, I, I do. And you I, say it makes almost no difference because they're basically the same, even if they're basically different. the same. You know, you you left out this phrase and this one and that one, and it doesn't change the meaning. Right. It's so far. Just to highlight this point, at the Museum of the Bible, they have uh, some copies where mistakes are made. One of my favorites on there is a. Uh, it was copied, thou shalt commit adultery instead of that. <laughs> <laughs> left not. Yeah, and, but to Tim's point, it's if you've got one that says, you know, some guy's like, excuse me. Oh, uh, here's the this oldest one. This we says. get to do this now. Uh, but if you have, you know, thousands and thousands, it's, you know. Right, it's, that makes sense. It's easier to kind of track down the mistake and say, okay, we take this one out of Those out scribes of had a sense of humor back then. Or? Yeah, some, <laughs> some guy was just like, yeah. So that's, that's one decision that's made. Right. You know which which text do we do we uh, rely on when there's, and now uh, and some of them uh, do both. What they'll do is they'll say like the majority text. I think New King James does this. They they use the majority text, but they put a little note in there, and you can click the note if you have like a, an interactive Bible, or uh, they can click the note and it'll say, you know, NUA or whatever some says so and so. Mm -hmm. So it's flagging you. That there's a different that version. there's a different that there's a di that the older manuscripts say something right. different. Yeah, but like there's a you might have a footnote in your Bible that says older manuscripts don't have this, this, this these verses. This verse. Yeah, and a lot of times like it'll have it like uh, one gospel will have it and the other one doesn't type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't change any meaning. Right. So, but but that's one one question. The second question is when we're gonna translate, so we've, we've now decided, let's say we decide we're gonna use majority text. Now the question is, um, what approach are we gonna to use to the translation? And here are, here are the possibilities I know about. One is complete literal. That means we're gonna take every Greek word and, inst and insert an English word. And there's one translation like that that I know of, and I use it, Young's Literal Translation. And uh, you, It's got to be hard to read. Well, I, I call it the Yoda translation <laughs> because it, 
in Greek, they didn't do the verbs and the nouns the same right, order right. we do. So it's like, you know, <laughs> strong am I? You know, it's, it's, it's got right. everything kind of. But, but you get a sense, of, a, a sense of what they're actually trying to right. say. Okay, so, but I don't, I don't read that. That's not right. my native tongue. And so that's literal, literal. And then, and then you get the next, the next kind of closest that was King James and New King James is, uh, and I think ESV is this way, I'm not sure, but for sure King James, New King James and NASB are all this way. NASB is what? New American Standard, okay. New American Standard. They, they say, um, okay, we're gonna get as close as we can to word for word and just adjust for grammar. Okay. So that it's easy on the English reader's ear. But we're going to try our best to actually, if they had written exactly what they wrote, but written it in English, they would have done this. Okay. So that's called word for word. Okay. The other end of the spectrum, and there's, you know, uh, would be paraphrase. Right. So paraphrase is... And is there a Bible that's written in paraphrase? Uh, the Living Translation. Living Translation. Is paraphrase. Do you know any the, others? The Message. The Message is paraphrase. Okay. And it's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to take this, understand it, and then restate it in my own words and put it down there. Okay. All right? So, that, so that's so, the other end of the spectrum. So if I'm a new Bible reader, which should I choose? Well, I think all of them have value, but it is useful to know what it is you're looking at. Right. And if you're, if you're reading a paraphrase, I would say a paraphrase is pretty close to like reading the BibleSays.com. Mm -hmm. The BibleSays.com is us who write that speaking mm -hmm. collectively about what we think that's saying and then putting the text in there the exact text so you know the difference between us and what the exact text is saying. Mm -hmm. and we use New American Standard, which is a more precise. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think for a new Bible reader, it's, you know, kind of a, a give and take. I, I think the, you know, if you're going to read, if you want to try to look at kind of the most literal, but have it make sense, I would recommend NASB. That's what I use when I'm trying to that. But if you do that, it's, uh, you know, it's stiffer. It's stiffer. It's harder to like really kind of, you know, get your palate used to what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know that I would recommend going all the way to a paraphrase like the message or something, but maybe something like the NIV would be. NIV New International Version is, is a, I would call it a literal paraphrase. Mm -hmm. They call it thought for thought. Mm -hmm. So paraphrase is my words. Right. And NIV is, we're, we're going we're gonna to try to give you the same thought in our mm -hmm. words. And I actually don't like that one because it, it, it portrays itself as word for word. And I think it's mm -hmm. a little misleading. Mm -hmm. So I actually would say that'd be my least favorite So would category. you say that the, the right version depends on the person and, and their style and of reading and where mm -hmm. they're at? And I would say, if you get to something where you are, you're saying, okay, wait, that's important for me to understand, then go over here to the literal ones and mm -hmm. start digging into the literal and try to get to the language behind it. If you're, 
if you're digging in and say, I, I need to understand that. Once you say, I need to understand that, then go to the closest to the right. source that you can. Right. But if you're just getting the flow, like you were saying, like let the water stream over you and mm-hmm. stuff, using the paraphrase is just know it's a paraphrase. Right. Right. So that if something triggers you and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, does that make any sense? And you're going to dig in, then you just know, well, I, I'm, I'm getting this from somebody else's words. So let me go dig in and, and, and see what right. I really think that says. Yeah, I think more important than which translation you, you choose is understanding which translation you choose. So, right. so if you know that you're getting into a paraphrase, then that's, that's right. fair enough. But um, yeah, so I, I think just knowing it, like Tim was saying at the beginning of this, the language thing is difficult. I, I've been trying to learn Spanish the last few years, and I've discovered that there's a certain line when you're learning a new language where it's like, I can't keep thinking about this in English and finding Spanish words for it. I've got to start thinking about this in right. Spanish because the word for word thing is just, you just Not can't working. translate that way. They just don't have the same, you know, not only the same cadence, but just, yeah, the the euphemisms and things. It's just like, it's, it's, it's different. And so I don't think any of this is a sign that it, that it's like not true or unreliable. It's just a, a reality of the translations. And I think what Tim just said is what I would recommend, not, not just when you feel see something that you're like, that isn't quite, even if you see something you love, maybe especially when you see right. something you love, okay. I say I would encourage you to, you know, spend some time in multiple translations and different points of your life or different days or different seasons. And, and uh, you know, don't, don't, don't fall too in love with, with one set or the other. They, they do all have their value. I use the blueletterbible.org, mm-hmm. and one of the tools they have, so you can you can click on a verse, and it gives you resources. And one of the things you can click on is Bibles, mm-hmm. and it will give you about ten different translations. You know, they call it a parallel Bible, yeah. and you can actually go down and look at every single translation and see how they dealt with that and what the difference is. And usually they're not much different, but occasionally there'll be one that's a little right. that has a different take. And you can dig into that take and see. One of the, one of the things that I I have found is that when 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 something doesn't seem right in the Bible, like, whoa, what is that? I have found that when I dig into those, I get that's what the richest veins are. Yeah, if you if you think about Ecclesiastes, that word that we've talked about before is translated meaningless. Right. So you or might vanity. Yeah. So you, vanity. You, yeah. If you're you know, two verses into Ecclesiastes and you see this meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. That might hit you like, that, that, that doesn't that make doesn't sense. That doesn't sound right. And, yeah. and so, yeah, if you, if you then mm-hmm. look and you see that word actually translates vapor mm-hmm. much more accurately, then it's like, well, that unlocks a whole different uh, way of coming across this. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's important for new readers, read something that you can read comfortably mm-hmm that makes you want to keep reading, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the key is we talked about just do it however you do it. Uh, so pick, look at a bunch of them. I and mean, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is you can find everything you just described online for free. Mm-hmm. It's not like you got to go to the bookstore and pick up a bunch of books right. or go to Amazon and buy a right. bunch of books. There's all kinds of resources. Uh, there's what you are putting together. Yeah, the Bible says the Bible dot com. Says, I use all of tree Bible. Yep. And uh, a blue letter, blue letter Bible, 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 Bible,
are both great resources. Is Olive Tree free too? Yeah, the the basic okay. app is free. Okay. So these are things that you can use on your iPad, use on your phone, and they're free. And when you when you're ready, when you want to buy a Bible, and I recommend everybody have a a hard copy hard Bible. Copy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I I've got a bunch of them on my bookshelf now. I love them. Just there's something about leafing yeah. through the pages of a mm -hmm. Bible and have my marker in the Bible. Uh, but I also use electronic because if I'm going to dig in and I want to look at different versions and translations, it's hard going from physical book to physical book. The key is to find what you like that keeps you reading. I, I would say that's the most important approach to the Bible. Well, and, and also it's important to remember uh, language is ultimately imprecise. If you start trying to figure out what language is, you'll run into a, a dead end pretty quick because nobody knows what it is. It's a spiritual, it's actually a spiritual thing. I mean, I, I use the word every day. I say, I love Kylie. What does the word love what mean? I'm trying mean? to express yeah. something that's ineffable. Like right. it's just impossible. So, you know, love is, is this beautiful, magical word, but it really is, uh, is imprecise if I'm talking about the depth of what I'm experiencing. And, and the, the written word is giving us a shadow of the living word. Right. And that's ultimately what we're doing. We're, we're, this is not this this Bible that we're that we're dealing with is not a magic potion that we're trying to figure out so that we can control things. It's uh, it's an opportunity to have a an intimate relationship with an eternal being that has masked himself from us. I think so that we can still have choices. If God suddenly was uh, well. He tells us if he is, if we saw his glory, we would actually die. So right. that that's a problem. <laughs> but even even if he did it in such a way that we could still live, we we would have no choice but to bow down. We and so he's masked himself so that we have this choice. But he's also made himself overtly apparent if we want to see, and that's what the Bible is. I think it's our opportunity to see. And I believe this: if you go to the Bible wanting to see, you will. And if you go to the Bible wanting to self-justify, you will. Yeah. And you will not see. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. You know, I, I've had a couple of friends who were wrestling with faith subsequent to me coming to faith, and, and one of them said to me, you know, I've heard you say that you've seen God acting in your life, and I've never felt that. I've never seen that. And I asked him if he's ever looked for it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this he was in a very serious situation. Right. He was in the hospital oh. facing a brain cancer diagnosis. Oh, yeah. And so this is a pretty serious discussion we're having. And he just kind of stared at me when, he, when I said that. And I said to him, you know, it's like if you were a bird watcher and you carry your Audubon guide with you, right? And, and you walk outside. We're in the hospital. And I said, if I walked outside this hospital door, maybe I'd notice there were birds, maybe. I wouldn't know what they were. I wouldn't really pay any attention to them because I'm not a bird watcher. I'm not looking for them. If I was a birder, if I, this was my hobby and my passion, I'd probably have my guide in my back pocket. It'd be all tattered. And when I walked outside, first thing I would do is notice the birds. I'd look them up in my guide. I'll look, there's a whatever it is, right? And I'd make a note of it. God is the same in our lives. Like when we're seeking God, when, when we open the, the Holy Bible and we're looking for stuff in there, you'll find that stuff because you're seeking it. If you're not seeking it, you're not going to find it.
Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.